0: Coming up on the show this week, we've got news from around the Emerging game, including a home series for the Belgian men against Austria, and of course, part two of our interview with USA women's coach, Julia Price. But first, a big thank you to our newest patrons, Chris Whiffen and Ian Aitchison. It's generous people like Chris and Ian who help us to highlight the amazing stories from all around cricket's wide world. So if you like what we're doing, please consider supporting Emerging Cricket on Patreon, with contributions from as little as $2 a month to help us keep the website running and the content flowing. To sign up, just head to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Emerging Cricket. And now, back to the show. Welcome once again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast, where we bring you all the latest from cricket's frontiers. This week, Bez is still putting in the long days on the Olympic coverage for Channel 7. So it's just me, Nick Skinner, and Tim Cutler over in Vanuatu.
1: Tim, how's things over in Paradise? (laughs) Well, there's always a lot happening here, and this last week has been no different. We had the finals day on Saturday for our Independence Cup knockouts. yes, I
0: caught a bit of that on the uh, on the live stream. Yeah, didn't see you on the stream though, Tim.
1: No, too busy pressing the flesh and being DJ <laughs> and trying to help put covers over the camera when it started raining and. <laughs> Um, making sure the ice was was still cold in the in the esky, um, and this week, well, everyone will be listening to this on on Friday, which is Independence Day in Vanuatu. Oh. It's our forty first anniversary of independence from Great Britain and France. Quite an interesting history. Vanuatu has been a former joint British and French colony. Um, festivities got underway uh, midweek week, and Independence Park um, where. Our office is um, is not just a clever name; it's also where they're they're having the main celebrations. Um, so they're all stalls up, uh, huge stage, and it's going to be packed all weekend. So I think they're trying to tempt me to go there to be there on the Friday so if you're listening to this hopefully I, I've, I've made it through but apparently it gets quite loud and uh, it's as busy as it ever gets gets in town.
0: Are you are you booked for a DJing slot there Tim?
1: Uh, no I put Melissa told me I should never play my music again I think it was a little bit too uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> for those who want to go back and watch the live stream or, or, or you don't have to and um, Mel Abel's got the last few wickets from Tafaya uh, I was running through a queen medley, and I finished with uh, We Are The Champions, which I, I think is entirely fine, but it doesn't really go with the uh, string band come reggae style that uh, is evident in a lot of Vanuatu music, but but I'm learning. A bit like the language, I'll get I'll get there eventually. But um, yeah, a little bit of rain, um, but it's just great being in a place where people are trying to find an excuse to stay on rather than get off. You know, the rain comes, and you've almost got to pull the players off the field. Um, <laughs> no. Which is a double-edged sword and it's great entertainment for the crowd, but not so much when you've got your nationally contracted players running up still trying to bowl full pelt. (laughs) I'm um, coming onto a wet synthetic wicket, you know, as I said, last week we decided to, well, as has played and been played in the past, despite the hybrid wicket being down at the VCG near the Corman Stadium, which everybody would know from the blast, we played this um, at the Independence Park field, which is a synthetic only, and that's the, the first place that cricket was played in Vanuatu when it was called British Paddock, I think, because it was a British paddock at one end and a French paddock at the other. Um... I won't make any French jokes. I promise. I'm going to move forward. We're we're all friends. We're all friends. Everything was a long time ago. Um, yeah playing great spirit when the grandstands sort of sitting on the high side of the field it's got quite a slope so if you look at the the stream camera it actually makes the field look really small but it's just because of the angle and the field slopes away from the camera
0: yeah i was wondering if there's like a weird angle on the camera but so there's a weird angle on the field
1: yeah no it's because the road actually sort of will go straight down but the field's on a downslope but you're just not used to seeing that cricket field. So it just looks like the road actually curves around a really small field, but it's not the the way it is. But I don't know if Lords has a slope because that's never really mentioned on commentary um, but, <laughs> I, but I believe there's a field similar to Independence Park anyway it just has an amazing view you know, I think there's a dream that is a um, an Independence Park being the centrepiece of Vanuatu Cricket which would cost a lot of money to just flatten the field and whatnot but it's it's such an amazing view down over Port Vila and onto the into the harbour it, it's amazing but you know, it, was a, it was a great day two results uh, unfortunately my uh, North of Fate Bush Pigs the, the women's team didn't get up in the morning but um, I That was a good game, even after. The star batter of the Blackbirds, Rachel Andrew, was, was out early. They fought back to post a competitive score and the, the Bushpigs weren't able to chase it down. And then Melee Bulls won, I don't know how many consecutive um, finals they've won on the men's side. But uh, another great performance from Andrew Mansali, former national captain for Player of the Match. Applaud it's there, but um, no, it was a great afternoon. And then to, um, to my second home, the, uh, the beach bar for the after party. So <laughs> all in all, a very a very good day, but a very long day as well. I should probably ask how you are going. I'm so used to having that, having this little voice on my on my shoulder with Daniel Beswick talking about something, but it's, it's it's eerie without him, isn't it? Like I've got, I'm almost afraid to ask how you're going. You've been more locked down. I heard the premier's announced another four weeks. Yeah, how are you going, Nick?
0: Oh, all oh, right. Actually, I've been watching the Olympics. so That's a good excuse to be, you know, have that on the TV quite a lot. I was watching some fencing actually, and um, I didn't get it at first. It, it looked really strange, but you know, I kept watching. I got the gist of it, and you know, just watching the excitement on the players' faces and, and just the spirit of it, I, I was just thinking, why would cricket be any different? People would see that on, on the Olympics and they'd they'd get into it and they'd think, wow, this this sport's great, and we'd be sharing the excitement of, of cricket in the same way as the excitement of fencing and just on the fencing it reminded me a bit of cricket in in the sense that it was a team event, so each player would have a like a duel with each other player, which is kind of a bit like cricket. It's a team game, but the sort of passages of play are just individual duels between the batter and the bowler. And yeah, so I think fencing, that's a good one.
1: Yeah, look, I think you said it perfectly there. I think we, you know, you got to take away, you know, our perspective that we know the game as we do and just to think how it would be presented to people around the world of this sport that is huge in in some countries and here's a chance for for more countries to enjoy watching it look with a team event of only eight in men's and women's you know we're not going to see the likes of a uh, i'm trying to think of uh, the underdogs that we'll see but if it's in in america i guess the usa will be the, the underdogs compared to the other, to other teams that are there but until it expands we may not get to see some of those stories but to see it played at that level and to, to have people enjoying it that would be great i guess the only only thing is that, that you'd want to make sure that uh, unlike what the australian coverage is that people are not <laughs> only just watching their own country playing in it which are probably sports they already know but i'm you know i think back to to watching handball Live in Sydney 2000, and just think what an amazing sport. And, and hearing about all these guys that this amateur Australian team is playing against are all full time pros playing this game that I'd never seen in my life. It was it was amazing. But um, fencing, f- funny you mentioned that. Hong Kong getting their first gold medal mm. since I think it was '96. It must have been I don't, someone's surely going to correct me on, on that. But that's huge a gold medal in fencing and then a, a silver in the pool with the, the silver medal behind a certain Australian swimmer who seems to be doing quite well for a self-orry <laughs> tipness as well who's uh providing some entertainment but uh that's big for hong kong I, I sort of i say big you know i probably look at it from an australian point of view of a country of 25 million and looking at, at hong kong with seven and a half and thinking oh geez you know they don't really have a lot of investment in their sports program but now i'm looking at it from, from a completely different perspective we're in a from a country of three hundred thousand with three athletes at the games but at least vanuatu's flag bearer made world news you know for-
0: I've, I've seen
1: the photos <laughs> <laughs> I was, i've got messages from people around the world saying well it seems like vanuatu's getting a bit of news tim so it's it's funny if it wasn't the blast last year that got tongues wagging you know with tens if not hundreds of millions of people watching cricket here we've probably got the same number of people <laughs> watching a topless oiled rower come in holding the uh the Vanuatu flag. So now you know that's a good way to get attention. Uh, can, can we
0: look forward to a, a fundraising calendar of oiled up cricketers, perhaps?
1: <laughs> I, I, for, for a scary moment, I thought you were going to say a, an oiled cricket CEO there.
0: But <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll we'll spare we'll spare the world from that.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. We're, we're just gonna, just going to slide past that. And again, we've got a guest, it's okay. But I will tell you what, the physiques of some of the cricketers are absolutely amazing like I, I so they should be running a sort of 800 of the olympics i, I just natural well i say natural you know they're professional athletes of course they're working hard at it as well but wow um but i don't know you never know calendar wouldn't be beyond <laughs> um can't even remember what the saying is they're beyond the realms of, of reality beyond um realms of possibility thank you um but we, as we're um talking about how good that story is for hong kong and uh i'm trying to think of the best way of leading into this oh yeah this is the segue specialist so do.
0: <laughs> don't don't worry <laughs>
1: Yeah, but I'm the one that gives them all to him. So don't, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, no. Well, pretty uh, disappointing news to read, wasn't it, this week when, you know, the, yeah, the Azaz Khan. one person at the end of a, a pointy end winning a gold medal for, for Hong Kong. But unfortunately, at the pointy end of their men's team, Captain Azaz Khan, was a, arrested <laughs> for, and again, my world's colliding in more ways than one <laughs> for alleged three million Hong Kong dollar, which is 380,000 US dollars insurance fraud, um, was in a was in an accident on his motorbike and collided with a taxi. There's no mention of who was at fault but has then gone to sue the taxi via their third party insurers for that amount of money and as is reported and, and alleged that the insurance company has then sent people to go and have a look at him and he's played 10 cricket games during that time, Cowleown Lions and beyond and is still claiming so unfortunately it looks like the Commercial Crime Bureau has got hold of it and he's been arrested so not much else has, has come out, all the stories going around have all been pretty much written from the same cloth you know. but I don't know, it's no different to when we see bits and pieces of emerging cricket pieces out there in the in the wide world, isn't <laughs> it Nick, it's like whoever gets there first poor old Bez having his <laughs> were copied by some uh, some large names out there but um what do you reckon I, I, it's just hong kong cricket uh... I, just dear oh dear oh dear yeah it just keeps going from bad to worse doesn't it I, I i mean
0: azaz khan is um he's one of the good guys in the team or so i thought I, but i don't know committing insurance fraud you'd know this better than anyone that's not a good idea in any circumstances especially not in hong kong
1: no and I, I, actually thought you were about to come, come back and say, "Oh, you know, why do we worry about that? It's a victimless crime. It's only a big bad insurance companies." So I thought you were going to like really lurch to the left on me there and say, "You know," <laughs> force you to defend
0: the uh, the poor little insurance Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Look, I don't don't want to start arguing for the insurance industry, but we've underpinned (laughs) development of the world. World trade wouldn't exist without marine insurance. You know, go and look it up. Ship owners wouldn't have been able to send their goods around the world without insuring. Anyway, that little chapter has been closed off for for however long. But um, yeah, I I agree with you. Everything I've known and dealt with Azaz has always been a great, upstanding guy. So I can only hope that this is wrong, because he's also, you know, from a cricketing point of view, is is a key player of that team as well. You know, someone who bowls, the maximum allotment of the Rovers is captain of the team and his bat's in the top four yeah Yeah, so we can only hope that um, that comes out great for him and and the game there but uh, I guess we'll keep a an eye out and see when the news comes on that. But that's that's not great either. But um, I guess it also talks about this current situation with player contracts in Hong Kong as well. The fact he's told the insurance company and also, I guess, the police here as well that he's employed as a cricketer and in logistics as well. I guess that sounds like the, the cricketers there are, are off their uh, full-time contracts now and they're out there looking for other work as well, which, as, as we know, presents its own challenge as well. So, like I said, I guess we'll just keep an eye out and hope it all it all works out for Azaz in the game there.
0: Yeah, Hong Kong cricket struggles uh, continuing. And, um, you know, another person who's had a few struggles lately, poor old Sandeep Lemachane. Uh, he, <laughs> we, we we just heard this week, eight days into a 10-day uh, hotel quarantine, preparing for a, a stint in the 100. He, he'd already missed his blast uh, appearances due to some, some visa problems. He was informed most of the way through his quarantine that actually his visa didn't come through and uh, he needed to pack up and go home. So that was a, a bit of a waste of time. I don't know how that happens, but someone's really stuffed up here, haven't they, Tim?
1: <laughs> That's putting it lightly. You know, I, for how I read it, though, he was told that the visa he had would not allow him to enter the UK into play. Was that was that how it was? Yes. I think it might have been that he got the wrong visa somehow. Yeah. So, look, it's a... Look, it's been a while since I've, I've used a, a Simpsons analogy here, but rem- rem- oh it remi- reminds me of uh, the Itchy and Scratchy episode, or well, at least when Homer was that the, the, the uh, much-hated third character and they were having a, a fan day at the comic book guy's shop and someone said, Oh, look, there was clearly two notes when Itchy hit Scratchy's uh, rib, the same one twice. So, oh, I hope someone got fired for that bungle. And it's like, this is exactly what's happened here. <laughs> and not only... I You so, <laughs> got there. Yeah, we got there eventually. I hope everyone stuck with me, and thank you for stay, <laughs> staying. There. But um, seriously, though, like someone's—he's got an, a visa to get there to go and play. It's been in the press. Is this on his agent? Does he does he need a new agent? You know, send an email to I want to be Sandeep's agent at EmergingCricket.com. <laughs> no, and, and I think Sandeep's had the same agent since day dot since he um, got the the world sphere sort of post Michael Clark. So I'm not sure what's happening there because it's. It's not his job to get this sorted. You know, he's a professional sports person. He's got enough to worry about. Somebody else should be worrying about these things. It should be agent talking to club or association. And he should just really have to turn up at the airport. So look it's, it's I, I don't know what it is it's like he's walked under a ladder or something he's just had too many of those things lately with the delay first to get there and miss one thing and, and then and then this and, and don't forget he also got covid yeah. a couple of months ago as well so yeah not a great time and, and not a great look it's sort of just got a little bit kind of swept under the, the carpet I think there was a sort of a, a message of regret from the ECB or at least the hundred club that he's playing for and then everybody just sort of carried on it's like well you know this guy's been a premier t20 bowler in in franchise cricket in major leagues around the world like can we not get to this and sort of talk about it if it was if this guy was from the west indies or australia would it have just been you know page two news as opposed to being big news so i don't know does this have anything to do with the ecb and uk home office visas because i thought they'd changed the visas or at least associate cricketers who'd play high level t20 cricket were able to come and play in the blast or or the hundred
0: yeah i know we've seen uh, with Angie Rath. And, uh, you know, we, we joke about how th- this just seems like such a comedic bungle, but this is costing Sandeep quite a lot of money. He was due to be paid, I think, was he getting 60,000 pounds? That's, you know, that's not nothing, especially to, you know, a young Nepalese guy. So as I said, you're looking back at the situation with Angie Rath and how he couldn't get the right visa to play cricket professionally. They, they don't make it easy for players in associate countries and and a lot of the red tape is to do with having to play a certain standard and how they define that. And you know if you've played first class cricket for a full member country, that counts. And if you've played, as you said, a certain number of T20 games, uh, that apparently counts as as being a, a top level cricketer, which you know you would think with stints in the Big Bash and the CPL and whatnot. Uh, that Sandeep would be ticking that box anyway, but even if he's not, there was some rhetoric from the ECB um, before the hundred started about making it easier for associates to play and and sort of relaxing those criteria to get in on a professional sports person visa. So the fact that they've dropped the ball on both counts, it's a huge bungle, really. And I, I don't understand. Is it just that nobody? cares because he's, you know, an associate player or, you know, as you said, <laughs> I, I can't imagine that someone coming in from any other test playing country, even a, a comparable country in terms of, you know, getting visas into the UK, I don't really see that that would be a problem. You know, if, if Babur Azam was trying to get a, a county contract, can you imagine him turning up and then eight days into his quarantine? Oh, sorry, mate, you, you got the wrong visa. Go back to Pakistan. That, that, that's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. And the, the cynical side of you gets thinking, you know, with Nepal just being an associate, and I mean that with no district to Nepal, just the fact that they don't have a, f- a vote on the board and who can they can really complain to. You know, we've, we've seen the issues around the lack of mandatory release and, you know, the more detail we got about that with the Netherlands taking on on Ireland there were sort of mitigating circumstances for players in their futures as as well but it just feels like again the scales are just tipped aren't they here here is a player of extreme talent who is good enough to to play in in these competitions but he's been excluded well precluded and 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 excluded for reasons outside of his control And, and he's being well it's a really exclusionist policy anyway to stop him from playing but I know we've talked about this a lot but it it really just is another challenge to try and grow the sport if you're looking around the world and you've got a talented kid in a in an emerging cricket nation and you see how hard it is for for them to get on the on the world stage when someone like Sandeep and how talented he is, which I guess brings the the opportunity that's that's coming in America with players moving there for minor league as, as almost a positive, because at least you know, this is an opportunity for, for players to to move somewhere and to, to make it a, a profession as, as opposed to this level that we're seeing with what's happened to to Sandeep. And I know we haven't seen too many players from Associate Nations and I know that the object of, of minor league is not to be uh, signing Associate cricketers so they can't play for their country, but, it, you, you know, have actually having a format there that, that's welcoming people for, from all around the world, it's it's just disappointing. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know what's, what's going to happen. Obviously, it hasn't stopped the 100 from firing up. I can't say I've watched much at all at the moment, flat out in time zones. you, you watched any, Nicholas? Oh, I think the world has
0: enough takes on the 100 already, Tim. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, were you looking at the the clock and seeing that we were eating into interview time, and we want to move on? That is
0: part of it too. But but I, I, <laughs> no, honestly, I'm I'm pretty exhausted about all the the stuff around the hundred. I, I I mean, I'd just be repeating stuff that other people have
1: said. So it's isn't that what we do anyway? <laughs> just get people's opinions and just sort of twist them just a little bit and make them sound as our own.
0: Just, yeah, give them some <laughs> uh, lukewarm uh, room temperature takes.
1: <laughs> it has taken over cricket Twitter, hasn't it? Um, but yes, anyway, yes, to some associate cricket. Uh, Belgium
0: uh, managed to beat Austria 2-1 in a home series played at the Royal Belgium Cricket Club in Waterloo. Uh, so, get your ABBA out there, Tim. Um,
1: I feel feel forced now. If I just, uh, <laughs> what the, what the, okay, anyway, sorry, carry on. <laughs> the,
0: the, the series... Got off to a pretty rocky start for Belgium with Corey Rutgers and David Mullet both resigning. So that's the coach and the assistant coach. They resigned, according to some reporting we got from Bertus de Jong, over a conflict with the board over selection. And, um, you know, that that played out in the team sheet, Belgium played five debutants in the series, and, and the total was, you know, including <laughs> Sherry Butt's suspension, 10 players who were in the Malta series, the, the most recent series they played, uh, 10 of those players were not available for selection um, in, in this Austria series, so they were fielding almost a second 11, but they, they still managed to win, which was good. They Interestingly, Belgium was ranked 43 ahead of the, the series, and Austria was 39th. Yeah, so the first game was a high-scoring match with Belgium chasing 195 in 18 overs. But the second game was was the one that grabbed the headlines. Uh, <laughs> one of the one of the more uh, interesting comebacks I've, I've seen in a cricket game. Belgium were eight for 14 uh, in I think about six overs, and they managed to get all the way to eight for 146 with a century to Sabah Zakil from number eight, 100 not out of 47 balls. I, I just feel for poor old Akib Iqbal, five for five of his four overs, completely demolished the top order, and then they just let it go.
1: Yeah, some real great cricketer vibes about that, huh? <laughs> it's a bit like scoring 100 and losing it better than, you know, but still being happy. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? I, I, and record partnership for the ninth wicket, at 132 unbroken yeah it's across men's or or women's cricket geez we're gonna go many great many years to see that record broken and it's good to see another associate match get up on the uh on the leaderboard there for records just to uh irk people (laughs) who want to talk about status yes um but look if a Guy comes in and scores 100 off uh, 47 rocks coming in and being 8 down. Doesn't deserve to be in the record books, so and I don't know who does.
0: Well, Zakiel was actually one of Belgium's better performers in that multi-series, and it was quite strange that he was at number 8, because he was batting around the sort of 6... Uh, range in, in that previous series and um, I think he got promoted up the order <laughs> again after that knock although he uh, he got um, I think about 5 off 10 so he couldn't quite back it up but yes good to see some records and get a bit of a uh, bit of chat around the associate game as always uh, the third match consolation win to Austria restricted Belgium to 103 for 9 off their 20 overs with uh, left arm ortho Shahil Momin taking 2 for 26 he toiled hard throughout the series, uh, managed one for twenty-seven in the first match when everyone went at over tens, um, and yeah, Austria cruised to the target comfortably, uh, ending the series as I said, two-one. Good effort for them after the uh, the off-field drama leading into the series.
1: Yeah, we can only hope that uh, you know, with all the delays, postponements that uh, the both teams will get to compete in a in an ICC tournament soon, because there's obviously a lot of a lot of talent across both sides. I am Mark Stafford, the president of the VCA, and
2: you're listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast.
0: Now, you've talked a bit about what? the role actually entails in terms of your job in Houston and, and the other cities for the regional competition. Now, one of the things with associate cricket and especially women's associate cricket is, you know, being the national team coach, a lot of the time you're doing stuff that isn't actually just coaching the national team. It's it's a lot of development work and a lot of kind of pathway stuff. So just talk us a bit through, you know, what's the typical you know week in the Julia Price uh, work life?
2: <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's, it's catching flights everywhere. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, it's it's constantly, there's lots of back and forth. You know, particularly at the moment, it's been good because obviously the planning behind the scenes, we did a lot of that, obviously, in 2020. That's sort of a good thing that, you know, there's not too many positives that have come out of a pandemic, but that's certainly one of them. It's allowed us time to sort of sit back and really sort of plan what direction are we going? How are we going to do this? What are we going to grow? What are our goals? What do we want to do in five years? Where do we want to see ourselves? So to me, being part of that whole process is ongoing all the time you know it's been nice to be able to have the intra-regionals and regionals come into play this year if not in a slightly reviewed format that I wanted but that's okay obviously budget restraints there but at the same time you know I think it's it's working way it's going at the moment I'm also forming relationships with you know as I mentioned with lots of the leagues trying to grow the game at development level it's not really my thing per se but at the same time can help set up the the structure and the infrastructure around how we're going to be able to grow it and take it into schools and have input into that sort of side of things I'm very keen to assist with delivering coaching courses over here and making sure that I'm mentoring a lot of the coaches that I've met around the the place it's been really exciting being able to give coaches opportunities in some of our programs as well and and be a mentor to them and provide them with additional opportunities and uh information about how they can continue to improve as a as a coach um so that's been been fun as well uh same with umpires we're just about i've just actually signed up for an umpiring course myself but
0: joining us great yes
2: (laughs) why not you know add it to the resume Um, (laughs) but you know usa cricket have just put out a the online course for females which is free for the for umpiring over here just to try and get girls really excited about coming into it not having the barriers that a lot of the females have here with regards to finances and sport. So all of that sort of thing. I'm, I'm pretty much an ambassador for anything that's women's cricket, That you know, if you're female, bar actually playing the game itself, which that's not going to happen. Um, so, yeah, so there's lots of development stuff constantly going. We continue to grow it all the time. There's so much that we can be doing to continue to professionalise it, to make sure that our program is being tweaked all the time. we can get sponsors on board to help pay for additional things like psychologists and full-time strength and conditioning and same with physios and nutritionists and, and all those additional things that are really going to help with uh, a satellite coaches in, in all of our regions, as well as assisting with, you know, even getting club competitions up and running through, you know, incentivizing programs uh, for, for leagues to to assist with making sure that we're getting the the girls playing because obviously that affects me at the top end if we don't have a you know a participation level that's stabilized and sustainable and that's going to be constantly growing and and you know so to me it makes complete sense that i'm involved in that whole pathway um, from the bottom to the top so it's there's lots of conversations going on constantly about about what we're doing about this and how we're going to continue to get more coaches and how we're going to get into schools and how we're going to look at colleges and how we're going to do talent IDs and where are we looking at those to drive it and how are we going to get softball cricketers over to hardball cricket so it's i have nightmares about it sometimes i didn't sleep a week last night i was out with one of the, with a coach from uh, the southwest last night and he's got so many ideas and you know the whole night my brain was just you know exploding about what we can do in houston and dallas and austin to be able to keep driving them forward while while we're here and obviously we're taking advantage of while we're playing these games. We in Raleigh we had a, a really good VIP function where we invited the mayor and lots of council members over and school district supervisors and league presidents and got them all in the same group and and then got a heap of kids out in the middle and played fun plastic ball cricket just to show that you know cricket doesn't have to be turf and hardball all the time and six-year-olds can play it and 70-year-olds can play it so so it's constantly about doing that sort of you know engaging with people getting them to have buy-in what resources are out there that we have access to grants can we you know access as well so and I could go on forever about this <laughs> but, I, yeah yeah, yeah.
3: I, I'm with you I uh, this is one of my favorite topics I know a lot of the school systems have a requirement for physical education to have a bat and ball sport which in you know, the typical American's mind that's always baseball or softball. It's usually, it's always softball in the schools for, for injury sa- uh, reasons, but that requires bats, balls, and gloves. Mm-hmm. And, um, we we would play wiffle ball in the gym, is what we would do. You know, when I was growing up. And but you can easily get a plastic cricket set and play it in the gym. And you know, there you go. You've saved the school. The schools just saved a lot of money. They don't have to buy a bunch of leather gloves every five years or probably fifteen years. But still, it's uh, <laughs> there are little things like that that can that can happen. And um, obviously, you yeah, the only way to make those things happen is to connect with the c- communities and have them to kind of take the lead.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, trying to get into schools, we you know, we really make need to make a curriculum based. talk to the schools about what would make it easier for usa cricket to start getting cricket in some of these schools and we always talk about fishing where the fish are and obviously that's where all the kids are you know and you know you want them playing sport and kids love playing sport so they'll try new games and and obviously the the way that we do cricket cricket's always been one of those sports that we yes it's a traditional sport but you can see it you know it's changing constantly and evolving it's you know t20 cricket it's t10 cricket now got test cricket 50 other cricket there's so many different versions of it and then we've got all of the development games that we were playing so we played diamond cricket the other day with the kids which is you know two pitches crossing each other but they run around like it's baseball so they sort of understood the baseball running around the the stumps bit but then they bowled across to each other and balls going everywhere bats it was unbelievable fun is that
0: continuous cricket
2: well it's it's called diamond cricket so it's sort of continuous but it's diamond but the idea of it is keep every single kid enthused and excited because there's something happening all the time and there's so many different ways that we can change the game of cricket, whether it's just underarm bowling to get kids involved in it, it's getting them to t- learn how to bowl properly, um, plastic bats, tipsy, you know, pairs cricket. There's just so many different variations of it that, that keep kids excited about it, which can be very, unintimidating for for teachers uh, which is exactly what we want in coaches particularly because they don't completely understand the game and they haven't grown up with it but if you've got something that's really simple for them and say there's your game do it kids will do it themselves i mean they love that sort of stuff and they're very adaptable and yeah i think it's just a a great way of making sure that we're growing the game is ensuring that we can provide lots of different ways of of teaching people the game
3: to me cricket is the perfect backyard sport for kids because you can adapt it to wherever you're at part of the fun is adapting it to wherever you're at making if you hit that chair over there you're out things like that and i loved that sort of thing when i was a kid i would have eaten this sport up to be able to do something like that you know maybe cut the grass down a little bit lower or something in certain parts of the yard you know the creative aspect of this game in the most recreational formats is just off the charts yeah
2: the one hand one bounce is always my favorite so that's the big one (laughs) (laughs) so you've got to try and keep it away from as many fielders as possible which in fact is the game so it's uh, a great way of doing things so yeah you're absolutely backyard cricket
3: burden. yeah it's it's perfect so uh you spoke about the importance of getting sponsorship you mentioned that uh recently we saw ma- major league cricket get sponsorship for minor league cricket with toyota and sling is usa any closer to getting that that type of uh, level of sponsorship and what what is the most important aspect of gaining big sponsorship like that what is what do you think will help obtain something like that
2: I think USA cricket definitely are getting closer to finding some sponsors corporate partners and commercial partners what that looks like is sort of out of my league a little bit but obviously as I mentioned before that the women's game is definitely something that's you know very promotable at the moment you know we've obviously we're also you know obviously getting new uniforms all the time for our national so there is immediate sort of partnerships that you can have with companies with regards to apparel and, and things like that so but I think um, the importance of making sure that we have sponsors I think it's sort of the legitimises it and puts us out in the public a little bit more because they they hear and they're associating cricket maybe with a, a certain product. So it's it's just, again, diversifying who's hearing these messages and who's getting introduced to cricket, whether that's through that company sponsoring uh, cricket or whether it's through the, the people who are employed at that company and we have a relationship with, with them and, and assist them with um, going in and playing cricket with their employees or, you know, just promoting it in different ways. So I think the, the more corporate sponsorships we get on, um, Onside, the more people are getting exposed to cricket. So I think, and secondly, we also have the money to continue to grow the sport and take it to different areas and keep developing and, and supporting all the leagues out there and 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 some of our competitions that, that we are we're trying to drive. Obviously, in the women's space as well, we we uh, at the moment we we don't play too many international games, which has really been difficult for us. No one's really around. In the United States, so it's difficult just to pop next door and play. Like you know, in Australia, we just go and play New Zealand or something, but England go and play Ireland or something. But yeah, for us, it's really important to have those bilateral series so that we're constantly moving up in the rankings. If we're only waiting every time until we have an ICC event, then the, you know we're risking every time that we don't go through those events if we don't win. Um, as opposed to if we finish on top, the highest ranking, if we have a higher rank, then we generally would push push through. So again, having the girls being exposed to that sort of stuff, it, you know, costs money. So, um, but it's also a fantastic way of developing players at that competitive level by playing more internationals, and potentially maybe working towards that that semi professionalism or professionalism of players in the future as well.
0: So, just on that of the you know the national team and international cricket, you, know, you you've had. Basically, no international cricket since I think 2019, the the 2020 World Cup qualifiers. Uh, so, you know, what what do you do as a coach to keep the team going? You know, in the absence of actual matches, because yeah, you haven't played for a long time. What, what's so? What's I guess been going on in the meantime?
2: Well, yeah, as I mentioned, like last year, as everyone was, it was heavily affected by COVID, and the, there was no cricket going on. Obviously, we we kept them. We we're trying to keep them motivated with um, just online competitions between them, doing little physical challenges, cricket-related challenges, dividing them into groups, small teams, all that sort of stuff, just trying to make it fun. It was hard, I have to admit, very hard. Um, You know, and I think they lasted pretty well. I reckon they got to about... August, September, and then they went, no, we're, we're just over it. <laughs> we, we can't do this anymore, which was fine because I reckon they, they battled along. But at the same time, we did get a lot of girls who had improved their fitness enormously and they'd worked really hard and they had got it. It takes a while to actually get that. Um, compound effective or cumulative effective of ongoing fitness so i've noticed that those girls that really busted it last year have been really really good this year you know straight into it scoring runs mentally they're they're pretty switched on so when they're not we're not playing international games i'm developing domestic games for them to play and that's pretty much <laughs> what's happening at the moment but uh yeah we're hoping you know we've obviously got the september games coming up so i'm hoping that these national games and all the the improving games and, and high-competition games are really going to hold fast for the girls when they do play in these, um, the T20 regional qualifiers against Canada, Brazil and Argentina. No doubt they're probably in a very similar boat to us fortunately so they're not getting too many other games either uh, at the moment other than the internal game so not ideal but you know that's all we can do at the moment is try and be as mentally prepared as we can a lot of the girls as we mentioned they do play in the men's and boys leagues. so yes it's not perfect but at the same time it's a very it's a good challenge for a lot of these girls to be playing in you know faster ball cricket balls turning more in men's cricket judgment of runs in between wickets with faster fielders all that sort of stuff is really challenging for them and then they can bring it back to playing in all. Female competitions and then continue to, to push themselves. So that's that's what we want them doing is being constantly challenged uh, wherever they are because they've got they haven't had enough cricket under their belts to not be getting something out of every single cricket game that they they go into. And we try and make sure that they go into those games with real purpose. So. That's pretty much all we can do at the moment while we, we can't play international games or we haven't got the finances to do it or we haven't got uh, the countries that are willing to come into America and take that time off and, and tour here. So, you know, you just got to get around these things. And unfortunately, I've got a pretty good bunch of girls that are really keen to, to really work out how that they can be better cricketers. So it's it makes it a bit easier for me.
3: Do you think the Nationals, the timing of them uh, right now kind of being their first thing out after COVID has kind of kicked them into gear, the ones that maybe uh, slacked off a little bit? Do you think that this is... Uh helping send them the message like before it's really important.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. They've realized that all these, suddenly they've turned up and all these other girls are there and they're like, who are these girls? And and they're pretty good. So there's lots of people challenging them. So they have to actually perform in the past, you know, there's been a lot of reputation that have got girls through, which is not what we want. We want girls performing under pressure. We want them, you know, ticking off all of our fitness requirements. We want them to have good attitude skills and as well as performing as well. So by putting them into these competitions all the time and ensuring that you know that they are performing and if not how are they going about it behind the scenes to ensure that they're constantly upskilling constantly working on their programs ticking off all the stuff that we need them to do reporting on you know what their sleep habits are reporting on you know what their bowling workloads have been for the week uh, making sure they're not spiking reporting injuries all that sort of stuff it might not seem very important to them but we've tried to really make sure that they understand that that is part of being an elite athlete and it's it's how we're going to push forward faster as USA and and do a bit of a catch-up I mean we've got a a fair bit of catching up to do we came we did come last in 2019 in September at the World Cup qualifiers we did beat Namibia though on the last game so I'm claiming you're only as good as your last game so (laughs) but uh so and there were improvements even in just that week it was amazing just the girls because they learn quickly they pick their like sponges but we need that to be ongoing it's not just suddenly when a tour is coming up we suddenly try a bit harder it's not about that it's actually about 24-7 mindset about and mental Mentality about being an elite athlete and understanding everything can affect how you play whether that's what you eat or what you do or what you don't do is really important
0: now you, you mentioned that disappointing outing in the global qualifiers in, in 2019 you're looking towards the the regional americas final this year you how do you see that going and you know looking forward beyond that if you do make it through what's the target for the next lot of qualifiers
2: it's a good question and it's, and it's a difficult one to answer because obviously I you know we haven't seen anyone for it'll be two years you know since we have seen anyone we've never played Brazil we've played a couple of girls from Argentina they came up for some practice games in a joint team a few years ago but really you know obviously as you mentioned Brazil's now got full time contracts and they're training hard so we don't really know exactly where they're at. Argentina have been improving all the time the flamingos have been great Canada again we beat them three 0 two years ago but that doesn't mean we're going to beat them again and I know that the team that they picked there wasn't their strongest team as well so all we can do really is focus on being the best that we can be and make sure exactly what I was just talking about is ticking all those boxes off if we're if we're reaching our fitness goals if we're making sure that we're constantly developing new skills and we're still working on our strengths at the same time I think we're going to be better cricketers uh, or be the best cricketers that we can be um, without knowing what our opposite positional. so we've just got to go in there with confidence and understand that these competitions that we're playing in at the moment are the best way that we're going to be able to, to prepare ourselves because that's all we can do so not the best situation but it, i'm constantly telling the girls they've got to adapt and be flexible so you know we've got to be the same as coaching staff and support staff understanding that you know what we've got to work with is what we've got to work with and you know if it means that we can't play any international games or practice games how are we getting around that and changing that to to make sure that they're still getting quality practice and quality trainings and being prepared as well as we can do it for them.
0: And just looking you know, domestically, we've, we've talked a bit about the pathway events that you, you're trying to get going through there. You, you also mentioned the minor league. That's only on the men's side. Is there any plans at all for a minor league or major league for women's cricket at all at the moment?
2: Not that I'm aware of. Obviously, that's a major league or minor league question. I, I don't know what their plans are specifically. But, yeah, at the moment, we're probably just sort of working on our own around how we're just developing the game Uh, And looking into that a little bit, we do have a few girls that are playing in the boys, they call them MLC leagues um, around the country, and they run competitions, which is fantastic that they're involved in that, but no women only or girls only competitions at this stage. But it's certainly something we'd be interested in obviously discussing with them and how we can continue to develop the game for for the women uh, and girls around the country.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm just thinking of the success that the women's Big Bash has had. And, you know, if the men's minor league and major league goes well, you know, that seems like the logical next step in, in the sort of in the chain.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think they've like they only have, they've only had the practice games for minor league last year, which w- weren't too bad, but I think they're sort of just seeing where it's at at the moment in the country. I think we've got 28 minor league teams, and I think that starts in two weeks' time, I think. So I think they're probably going to have a bit of a look and see how that runs. Potentially the 12 teams that we've got around or the 12 cities that we've got around the country at the moment could potentially eventually you know, look like a minor league competition in itself by having those 12 teams operate very similar to the WBBL back in Australia or the old KSL in in England. So, yeah, it's a possibility, absolutely. But I think, obviously, Major League still hasn't happened yet in the country, so there's no real proven result there. And they're probably waiting to see how Minor League and Major League, you know, the the fallout from that and the success of that, which obviously we're all hoping will happen, and then how that can then impact uh, the women's game and how they can continue to grow from that side.
3: And with the women's game being relatively new in infant stages here, there's so much potential. I think that's one of the things you're really excited about. Like you said, there are so many possibilities of what can happen. Uh, Clearly, a priority is getting the leagues to the the local leagues around the country to Prioritize uh, women's cricket to a degree, and I've I've noticed here with Triangle Cricket League since about three four years ago they started their their women's league. Um, that came very popular very quickly. The involvement has gone really fast. Women have signed up very quickly. The enthusiasm is is really high, and the attitudes amongst the men's players has changed quite a bit in four years regarding how they feel about women's cricket and. One one example would be Gitika. She's a very popular player in our league. The men's players, you know, talk about her performances pretty often. It's fun to be in a in my team group and seeing guys in my team talking about how Gitika is doing. Right. So it's, uh, you know, several of the men's teams that wanted her to join along with her playing in her women's league. So it's great to see that happen in just a few years time. Women and girls who didn't really know how to play 4 years ago now they're performing at the regional stage and that's uh that's, that's fantastic
2: yeah I think by having the women involved in those competitions as well, it just provides just a bit more of a balance, I suppose, in the culture of the leagues and the teams. And I think it actually just makes it a, a really nice game to play and, and be involved in. It should be very family-oriented. You've got, you know, people coming down to watch the games and, you know, have their grills or whatever they're having on the side of the um, the boundary to keep it nice and social because, I mean, cricket is a very social game. Um, there's a lot of sitting around. If <laughs> and if you're not very social, you're probably not going to like <laughs> cricket. But, yeah, I, I really think it's been important for the game in cricket uh in australia definitely to have the women's game really evolve the way it has and be included and just part of the furniture basically when it comes to to the game and promoting it and driving it it's just second nature now in australia And it was amazing how i know it took about a 20 year period but at the same time it sort of has felt like it's always been it just is quite natural now and i think that'll be um great for the for the american communities as well well just on that you know i'm just
0: It's just sort of occurred to me, but, you know, you were sort of getting in on the ground level with the Australian women's scene. Um, Obviously, you started playing in the 90s and so you've been there for the whole journey and now you're you're kind of, you're you're on the ground level in the US as well. Is there any sort of lessons that you're trying to draw from the way that it it went through with Cricket Australia? I mean, obviously, (laughs) you know, CA has a lot more money than USA Cricket, but in terms of just strategies that they put in place?
2: Yeah, clearly, I don't learn very much. I've to come back and put myself in the same position again. I'm a sucker, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely lessons learned. And like I said before, it's a, it's the same. Well, we went through we went through a few incarnations as uh, you know trying to run our own games. With I think we were the AWCC, Australian Women's Cricket Council first and then Women's Cricket Australia and then I don't even know what happened after that and I'd only been playing a few years and we went through a few of these already and eventually joined up with the ACB, and now Cricket Australia. So, yeah, it was a hardish time but at the same time I can use a lot of those experiences to empathise with what the girls are going through now, you know, having to pay for a lot of stuff but at the same time, I do question the girls a lot about what's their why. Like, why are you doing it? If you want to play for your country, then there are some sacrifices you're going to have to make. And, yes, it's you're not getting the reimbursements that you, you might want and the you want to become professional. And we haven't got the money to give you that yet. But at the same time if that's the most important thing for you, well, cricket mightn't be the the sport for you right at this moment. That's exactly what I had to ask myself, as did Belinda Clark, who was one of the best players in the world, was the captain of our team. You know, we were all paying. We won the World Cup in 1997. We paid to go to the World Cup and we won it. And we had a bill at the end of it. So um, (laughs) fortunately, it got put out in the media and someone, a, a publican, put up the money that we had to pay for to going on that. And from that second on, the Commonwealth Bank came on board and, and has promoted and um, driven and sponsored women's cricket ever since. So, you know, you get to empathise with these girls uh, and understand the struggles that they've got. They're trying to, you know, have full-time careers and is cricket going to be their career for them and how, when do they make a decision about whether they just go full-time cricket or they stay with their job or, you know, and that's something I can't answer for them, but we can try and support them as much as we can. So while we're in this real limbo of, where we're at with driving the game and developing the game and it's being in its amateur stages you know you've got to really be supportive of these girls and understand that you know they've got a lot of balance going on in their life and how can we make it as easy as possible for them but at the same time have them understand that this is where we need them can they get there and if not how can we help them to get there to continue to drive so it's it's about constantly empathizing with these girls and understand the situations that they're in with regards to what we're asking of them but at the same time understanding that we've got we want USA cricket to succeed. We want it to keep driving forward, and that means, you know, a few sacrifices and a lot of commitment from from those players that are and stuff <laughs> that are. Um, like I'm homeless at the moment. I'm just flying around America, just trying to work. Out <laughs> so, um, but yeah. So I think that that's a, a a big factor in you know understanding the sacrifices and, and commitment that the the players need, and to be able to make sure that something like this is going to work, and that we're laying a foundation for the future for for who's going to come after. Them potentially a lot of these girls and how we can keep driving it and moving forward.
0: Well, as our time is coming to an end, it's a tradition on the emerging cricket podcast that we ask our guests about the laws of the game and, and whether they have any laws that they would like to change. So do you have any suggestions on that front, Julia?
2: Well, I sort of do, but I sort of don't. But one, I, I whinged about for a long time and it got changed. So I'm claiming that was me. And that was the <laughs> bat when it used to slide over the line and they'd cross the line, but then it'd sit up and they could mm-hmm. still get run out. I hated that rule because it wasn't fair because they were in the crease. So, uh, and fortunately they changed that rule. So I'm claiming that. Um, but the <laughs> other rule... The other rule I don't really like is um, I don't like that you have to be inside the field of play to take the catch. You know, then they throw it up, they step over, they step back in and they take the catch again. I just, I understand it's spectacular, it looks amazing, but it doesn't. Just, it just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, if someone's taken the catch and they're in control of that ball, like they're clearly, you know. Like a
3: base yeah.
2: Yeah, I don't understand why it has to be. Why do they have to be – they've taken the ball and they've caught it. End of story. Yeah. doesn't matter where they go from there on. I don't see why that's a, a big deal.
3: I agree. <laughs> I, I like that. And I like the idea of, you know, baseball, when they make the catch at the wall and they rob a home yeah, run absolutely. and they go crashing into the wall. Like- right? Cricket can use a little bit of that, I think.
2: I know. Imagine catching it, you know, after the guy in the first row has got a beer in one hand and you take the ball nearly out of his hand. <laughs> 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 you, know, bit, you, know, you know, I mean, exciting. I like that. I mean, they can keep doing what they're doing if they like, but I still think, you know, I always remember like Steve Waugh when he took that catch Mm, and he ran behind the side screen technically you know that should have been six but it wasn't it was out because back then they didn't really think about those rules too much but to me i don't know i just think that that just annoys me that rule i just think it's a bit pedantic and i'm just i don't know cricket can be like that
0: i think it's it's a thing with the ropes especially because you can't lean over the fence anymore i remember even like when I was a kid watching one day games, there were catches where people would be like leaning just over the right and like they, the ball would have gone for six, but they were leaning over the fence and they caught it. So we can't do that anymore, which is, which is a bit sad.
2: It is sad. I know. And we're blaming Ricky Ponting for that because I think he hurt his ankle sliding into a fence. So then that's why they brought in the, the boundary at five meters from the, from the fence because he hurt his ankle and he was out for a while. So we're going to blame him for that, I think. Yeah.
0: <laughs> So we'll credit you for the, for the change and we'll blame Ponting for that one. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's been a very insightful conversation here with Julia Price, head coach of the USA Women's National Team and, of course, Nate Hayes, uh, Emerging Cricket uh, USA correspondent, shining a light on the women's game in the USA. Thanks a lot for your time, Julia.
2: No worries at all. Thoroughly enjoyed it.
0: And an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. That's the show for this week. Thanks for tuning in once again. And if you liked it, please leave a review and a positive rating on your favourite podcast app, as it really does help us to spread the word. Bye for now.